0: First thing I want to do is apologize to Kathy Anderson because I forgot to record last week and she is at home. Her doctor has told her not to come out during the coronavirus and she is at home and I forgot to record for her. So Kathy, I am sorry, but hello to you today. Yeah, everybody say hi, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Yeah, you are loved and you are missed. Um, how many of you are fearful about the coronavirus? (laughs) Okay, yeah, I I don't know. know, I I don't think it's a coronavirus that's going to get us. I think it's our overreaction to the coronavirus that's going to get us. How many of you you have low supplies of toilet paper? I will be checking each of the restrooms today when we leave. (laughs) There will be a monitor at the door to frisk you down to make sure you're not taking toilet paper from the veterans hall. Okay, we'll have to pay for that if you do. No, we don't. Uh, But uh, but it's that's crazy to me. I don't understand the way people think. You know, I really don't. I don't. Yeah. I wonder if they do. Um, But, you know, we went to. Of course. Now, what does that do when you go to Target and there is no toilet paper? It makes you want to go to another Target and then you go to another Target my son-in-law. Yesterday, we do our. He does the grocery shopping on Saturdays, and he went, and they let him buy six rolls. We have six people in our house, right? <laughs> and some of those people use more than a couple of sheets. <laughs> okay, they they do. Uh, I'll name them later. Um, but but six rolls, uh, you know. That'll, that'll probably last us a week, but, but he went to six stores. He went to six stores trying to find stuff, you know, to complete the shopping list, and he couldn't find anything. No toilet paper. Now, what is it about toilet paper that makes you think that it's going to save you from the coronavirus? Are people making masks, taking toilet paper, wrapping it around their head to make a mask? I don't know, uh, but it just, it strikes me as weird that people are doing that. And, you know, the overreaction. I can understand Clorox wipes. I get that, you know, because I wipe my face with one every day. But <laughs> but the truth of the matter is is that people are thinking differently than I think. Now, who's right? True. Thank you. <laughs> Peggy. <laughs> Peggy knows me well, and she does say that I am right. So, uh, thank you for that. Um, but today we're going to be thinking about a different way of thinking. That's what we're going to talk about today. It's the second in our series of going through Philippians. We uh, touched on some of the highlights of chapter one last week. We're going to touch on some of the highlights of chapter two this week. Um, But have you ever had an experience in life where you had a a pivotal mind shift? The way you looked at things was diametrically opposed to what you had experienced before. I've had some of those experiences as well. Um, here's one of the things that I've learned, Uh, being a leader in a church for uh, most of my life, I've learned that that I used to think this, I used to think that the bigger a church gets, the more the pastor has to do. Sound reasonable? Bigger a church gets, the more the pastor has to do. But I I was listening to a a podcast of of a leader uh, talking to leaders, and he said, no, that's not true. That's not true. The bigger a church gets, the bigger an organization gets, the less the leader has to do. But it has to be impactful over a lot of people. Okay. Now we have this idea that what you do when you start leading a church is what you have to do to keep it going. But the idea is to empower people to do ministry. That's my job. My job is to equip you and empower you to do ministry, not to do the ministry for you. So therefore, that was a real paradigm shift for me when I realized that. And our church now is the product of that thinking. Now, um, here, here's one of the things. I used to think that the more people knew about you, you know, well, let me go, let me back up. This whole idea of success. Success is kind of based on what you do, right? And people see what you do, the value that it has, and they pat you on the back, and that is success correct? You make more money, you get promoted. Success, right? As some of you kind of see where I'm going with this, and you're a little hesitant to really jump on board with that one. But here's what I found. I found that the successful people are the ones that have people in their lives that know them best, that they are transparent with, and that those people still love them and respect them. That's success. Okay. So when you can live a life of integrity, where what you are on the inside is the same as you are on the outside, that's success. It's not based on your merits or what you've accomplished or how much money you have in the bank or how many uh, plaques you have on the wall. It's based on people knowing the real you and still loving you and respecting you. That's success. Okay. I, I used to think, too, that, that, uh, that things were real, real important things were really important. You know, you had to have a nice car, you have to have a nice house. If you're going to be a leader, you have to have people into your house and you have to, you know, they have to think, oh yeah, he's got it together. Uh, It has to be clean. It has to be neat. Now there's somebody in my household that still thinks that, uh, that it needs to be neat and clean. And how many of you make your bed every day? I was listening to the radio the other day and this lady says, yeah, I make my bed every day. I make it just before I get in it. I thought, what? What? And and here's here's Cindy says, you know, that I should make the bed every day. And my thought is, you know, what difference does it make? Because I'm going to make that bed. I'm never going to see that bed again until I get in it (laughs) at night. And so for me, it's better if the covers are pulled back, you know, my pillows in place and and all those foo-foo pillows are off on the floor somewhere. Because when I get there, I don't want to have to go through all that mess to get ready to get in bed. It just seems more efficient to me. I have a different way of thinking. Okay, now, let's review the context of what we're talking about here in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 1, we are introduced to the Paul, and we realize that he is where when he writes this? He is in prison. Okay, he's under house arrest, chained to a, a Roman guard, uh, to whom he shares the gospel with every time he gets a new one. And so, therefore, who's captive? Really, the, the audience is the captive audience. So, uh, we found out that he has a recurring theme of rejoicing, having joy. Now, for me, I don't know that I would be all that excited and all that joyful about being in prison. You know, have I done things worthy of prison? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> yeah, that perked everybody's interest right there. Yeah, uh, but Paul hadn't done anything worthy of prison. He had shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now he's in prison and you've got to be scratching your head thinking, boy, he must be really sour about that. He must be very unhappy about it. But he talks about rejoicing, 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 rejoicing. Now, there's another thing about, that he talks about, and that is the way we think or our minds. He mentions it 16 times in four short chapters. And so today, that's what we want to focus on. We want to focus on the things that we think about. In Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and one of mind. Now, he describes what being like-minded is. Now, being like-minded, how many of you think that you think like everybody else thinks? Have you ever met anybody that thinks like you think? (laughs) Maybe you want to kind of look at the way you think then. Uh, But he says this. He says, make my joy. Now, remember, he's writing this from prison. He says, make my joy complete. I've got a lot of joy, but make it complete by being what? Like-minded. Now, this like-minded thing is, and I I included a a bunch of Greek words in here for you, for you scholars this week. Uh, It's the Greek word for neo. And it means to set your affection on, to think, to be single-minded, to be focused, to be single-minded. So when we as a church are like-minded, we have a single focus. And what's the focus? The focus is Jesus. And so therefore, what he does, we do. What he says, we say. What he thinks, we think. That's being like-minded and being singular of focus. Now, notice what he says. He says in verse 2, that make my joy complete by being like-minded, and he describes it, having the same love. Now, what does Jesus say about love? Anybody know the definition of love? I'm going to give it to you again, because I want you guys to know it. Love means wanting God's best for someone else and being willing to provide it. Okay, being willing to provide it. Wanting God's best for someone else and being willing to provide it when it's within your realm to be able to do so, and m- many times it is, and most of the time it is, so that you can show love, okay? So ha- being, uh, having the same love. Now, Jesus loved what? Who did he love most in the entire universe? His Father. His Father. Now, if you look, Jesus describes what the Christian life is all about when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? What does he say? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we add some stuff onto there in other passages. Um, And he says, the second is like it. Okay, Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love other people. Now, if we're like-minded in love, what are we going to do? We're going to love God and love other people. So therefore, he says, have that same kind of love. Now, being one in spirit. Now, this is one of the great things of of the Christian life is that we share something. Every one of us shares something that's a true believer in Jesus Christ. We share something. You know what we share? Okay, we share the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. The Holy Spirit of God lives in me. And you know what's cool about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit doesn't just tell you what you want to hear. Have you ever noticed that? The Holy Spirit tells you the truth, the truth. Okay. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to guide you into all truth. Okay. So he tells you the truth. Now he doesn't, you know, in our day and age, truth is kind of wishy-washy. Your truth can be your truth. My truth can be my truth. And we just make up truth. Well, the Holy Spirit defines what truth is. And the truth is the truth. And he doesn't tell you something different than he tells me when it comes to truth. Now, he may apply things differently and he may give you different directions he gives me. And I understand that. But the unity of the spirit is that we believe the same things about the truth. Okay, so that's another thing that unites us. And it says being one in spirit and one of one mind of one mind. We think about the things and we are concerned about the things that God is concerned about. And so, therefore, that unifies us. I always draw that, you know, sometimes when you have a difference of opinion, what's the what's the clue? What's the thing to do? If you have relationships and you have a difference of opinion and you go to a marriage counselor today, the marriage counselor will tell you to do what? Compromise. Compromise. Okay, You give a little, you give a little. I don't believe in compromise. Okay, I'm going to tell you right up front, I don't believe in compromise. Because when you compromise, you're giving up something that you want, right? And here's the way it works. And I wish I had a little diagram for you. But one person gives up a little something of what they want, and they make a pile over here. This person gives up a little bit of what they want, and they make a pile over here, and they inch together. Okay, and then they have another disagreement. I give up something, you give up something, we inch together. I give up something, you give up something, we inch together. About the time we get halfway to each other, you know, we have another blowout and we have to compromise. And I get tired of compromise, and I look back and I look at that big pile of stuff that I've given up for you. And I say, you know what? I'm tired of giving stuff up for you. You know, I'm, I'm not even the person I used to be because I've given up so much of what I want. And so I'm upset. I'm unhappy. And therefore, I don't want to do it anymore. OK, now, what if we change the way we think about that? What if we say, OK, there's me and there's you and we're kind of apart because we're not unified yet. You know, maybe it's the beginning part of our relationship. And we say, OK, it's not what I want. It's not what you want. But now it's what God wants. Okay, so we put God at the top here. Now, what happens when we start inching toward God? Oh, check it out. We get closer together, don't we? Yeah. So it's no longer compromise that should govern our disagreements and our, and our different points of view, but it's what does God want? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So therefore, that's what phroneo is all about. There's some things that Paul writes in the Bible. He says this in James, double-minded man is what? Unstable in everything that he does. A double-minded man. And he's talking about being singular of focus, singular of mind, having the mind of Christ. And so therefore, when we have a double mind, we become unstable because we think, oh, gee, you know, the coronavirus is going to get me. Oh, no, I think God's going to save me. Oh, no, I think it's going to get me. Oh, no, I know God's going to save me. Oh, no, we need toilet paper. You know, and... And so, therefore, what are we going to do? We're double minded and we become unstable in everything we do. What do we start doing? We say, I can't go outside. I can't go to church. I can't do whatever. And I'm not saying that everybody ought to go to church. I think that if you have health risks, be safe, okay? But on the other token, we have this thing that says, oh, who do I trust? You know? And I want you to ask the two questions that I always ask you to ask. Number one, who do I trust and what do I believe? Okay, now if I, if I trust Governor Newsom, then I'm not going to come to any gathering that's larger than 250 people. Lucky for you. (laughs) Okay, lucky for you. Now, what I suspect is that if this thing goes on for very much longer and these 250 plus churches aren't going to meet, we might get some folks. (laughs) No, we really don't want that. Okay, so double-minded is unstable in all he does. Okay, he also says in Romans, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be what? transformed. And how do you get transformed? By the renewing of your mind, by thinking differently. Okay. Thinking differently. If you want to get renewed in your mind, analyze what am I thinking about? How am I thinking about it? Who do I trust? Okay. Number one, who do I trust? Number two, what do I believe? Who do I trust? What do I believe? That will solve, that'll help you analyze a lot of things in your life that'll help you to come to the correct conclusion. Now, who do I trust? What do I believe? I believe the coronavirus is going to get me. I don't believe that. That's why I'm here today. Cindy thinks the coronavirus is going to get her. She's at home. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding about that. She doesn't think the coronavirus is going to get her, but her mother has been in the hospital for a week or so, and she needs to stay at home. So that's it. So don't be conformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what, does it hap- what happens when you renew your mind? Then you get to prove what? What the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Okay, you get to prove what the will of God is when you renew your mind. But if you don't renew your mind, you're going to have a tough time, tough time proving what the will of God is. Okay? Now, he also says this. He says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Take every thought captive. Okay? When you have a thought, that's where I want you to take it captive. If you know how to take it captive? You ask two questions. What do I believe? Who do I trust? When I have a thought, what do I believe? Who do I trust? When you, hear, when you watch the news, what do I believe? Who do I trust? When you hear the president speak, what do I believe? Who do I trust? Okay, you know, and I, I'm not saying anything political about that. But when anybody of any significance, when anybody of any authority speaks to you, ask that question. What do I believe? Who do I trust? Okay, it all comes back to me to, I trust God and I believe what he says. Okay, so if somebody's talking different, saying something different than what God says and, and trying to get me to trust them, no, all bets are off, Okay. Paul says this, when you're thinking about your mind, he says, set your mind on things that are noble, pure, right, lovely, admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. That's what he says, to think about. Think about those things. Don't think about all the other junk of life. Okay? Uh, in Proverbs, it says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, that's what you become. And so, therefore, that takes us to our first paradigm shift when it comes to thinking, and that's this. How you think determines what you become. How you think determines what you become. Now, we can do this in reverse, too. We can take a look at what I've become, and I can ask the question, how did I get there? Well, it started with what goes on in my mind. I got here based on what goes on in my mind. Okay, what went on in my mind? Well, maybe I trusted God, maybe I didn't. When we get in a big jam... And we get to that point where we say, God, I'll go to church every Sunday if you just get me out of this. Well, what got you there? It's probably because you didn't go to church every Sunday. I don't know. Just saying. So how you think determines what you become. Now, there are some people that are very successful in life. And, you know, as a pastor, I see that, you know, people that are, you know, there's some great pastors in this world and they've done a miraculous job uh, building churches. And I look at that and I say, man, Wouldn't that be cool? I'm gonna do what they do. So I'm gonna go to one of their seminars, and I'm gonna find out what they do. And they do this, they do this, they do this, they do this. I'm gonna take notes, I'm gonna come back, and I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. You know what happens when you do that? Bupkis, nothing. Nothing happens. Because it's not about what they do that makes them successful, but it's the way that they think. So when you find somebody that's successful, don't find out what they do, Find out the way they think. Find out what goes on in their head and then maybe incorporate some of those things so that that goes on in your head because what, how you think is going to determine what you become. Not what you do, but how you think. Now, part of my problem was that I was thinking that I need to do what everybody else does in order to be a successful pastor of a church. Well, that's not true. Okay? What I need to do is find out how they think, how they pray. What they read, what influences them, and how they influence others, and then use those tools—not just set up programs. Okay, how you think determines what you become. Paul says this: everything is about Jesus Christ. Everything in his life was about Jesus Christ. Everything that he did, everything that he thought, everything that he spoke was about Jesus Christ. Now, if if he's successful, well, let's let's ask: was Paul successful? Okay, we know that because we live on this side of history. But if we saw him sitting in a prison, would we say, "Hey, he's successful"? Eh, maybe not. You know, he's you know he might be somebody that we want to avoid. I don't want to go to prison. However, you know, and well, no, I'm not going to go down that road. Okay. So, how how did he get that way? How did Paul get that way? Okay, he started thinking like Christ. He started having the mind of Christ. Why did he do that? Because that was his creator. God, his creator, sent Jesus in the form of a man to show us who he is. And so therefore, he says, that's that's what I want to become. I'm going to focus on that. Now, I'm going to think like Jesus thought. And therefore, when I think like Jesus thought, uh, and actually, I I hate to say anything about Jesus in the past tense. So if I think like Jesus thinks, then I will do what Jesus does. Okay? I don't know if that's even grammatically correct, but now, Here's here's what I want you to get here. If you think like Jesus thinks, you'll live like Jesus lives. And I put lived because, I don't know, it's just grammatically weird there. Okay, so if you think like Jesus thinks, you'll live like Jesus lived. Because what what have we established already? How we think determines what you become. So if I think like Jesus, I'm going to become like Jesus. Now that's exactly what I want. In verse number three of Philippians 2, he says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather than humility, value others above yourselves. Value others. Now, that's just different than the way the world teaches us to think, right? Don't Because actually the world says, if it is to be, it is up to me. Okay? If it is to be, it's up to me. okay I'm going to make my own future. I'm going to carve my own way. I'm going to become successful in my own definition. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And Nike will reaffirm that, and they will give you a commercial that says, just do it just do it be a success okay uh, now there's a the word here that talks about selfish ambition uh, and vain conceit is is a greek word and anybody want to give that one a try tapenafrusone tapenafrusone okay there'll be a quiz at the end so tapenafrusone uh, it means don't do anything uh, do it modestly humility of mind lowliness of mind, okay? Humility, in humility, that's the diametric opposite of this selfish ambition. So it's humility, humility of mind, lowliness of mind. Now in verses four and five of Philippians chapter two, and I, I have the whole thing there for you, but I'm just going to talk about the first couple. It says, not looking to your own interests, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So, Paul's here telling us, he's giving us a clue think like Jesus thought, and, or think like Jesus thinks, and you'll live like Jesus lives. Okay? Think like Jesus thinks, and you'll live like Jesus lives. So, he says, now, now what is, what is all of this? Okay, in your relationships, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, say the word attitude. Okay? Say it. Attitude. What he's talking about here is attitude. Have the same attitude, have the same mindset, have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Now, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference, right? It can change your whole day. It can change your whole experience in life. And attitude is important. Now, how many of you finished in the bottom half of your class? Here. Yeah. Okay. Be proud. Because you know what the bottom half of the class makes possible? The top half of the class. You know, And if you have that attitude, <laughs> some of you are looking at me like, what? Just do the math or get together with Shannon. She'll figure it out for you. Um, but the bottom half of the class makes the top half of the class possible. It's like the little kid. The little kid, uh, he went out in the front yard one day and he's got his bat and his ball. And he, and, he, and he shouts at the top of his lungs, I'm the greatest batter in the world. And he throws the ball up, whoosh, swings and misses. Picks it up again, smiles, raises his hands up and says, I am the greatest batter in the world. Throws it up, whoosh, swings and misses. He smiles and looks around, sees if everybody's watching or if anybody's watching. Picks the ball up, throws the ball up, swings and misses. Whoosh. I am the greatest batter in the world but what's even better is I'm the best pitcher in the world because I just struck out the best batter in the world. <laughs> attitude makes all the difference in the world. Attitude makes all the difference. Now, what is your, what is your attitude made up of? Okay, it's made up of your mental habits. How many of you have mental habits? Okay, when things go wrong, you have mental habits, right? when things go wrong, you start down the road that says, oh, if this is wrong, then this could be wrong, and 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 this could be wrong, and, be wrong, and I don't know what we're going to do. I had a, a staff member of my church a, a long time ago, and he was a youth pastor. And he was teaching one day for me, and I was in the congregation, and he says, yeah, and he was teaching about worry, and he was t- teaching, and he says, you know, my, my grandfather told me that I worry about and he said, S-H-I, right in church. He says, my grandfather says, I worry about, that doesn't even happen. And I thought, I wish you hadn't used that word. But man, that's a great thought. Because that's what worry most often does. We worry about stuff that's never going to happen. Uh, but we have this mental mindset, this mental attitude, this mental kind of game that we go through that when this happens it triggers this and triggers this and triggers this and triggers this and we fall into that old mindset of doing that kind of thing okay now uh, your habits and your thoughts now habits are something that are acquired right How how do you get your habits the habits that you have now how did you get them you acquired them and you know how you acquired them you did the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and now it's a habit right how many of you lock the doors the minute you get home from work? Why? Has, let me ask. Of Those of you who do that, has anybody ever come in your house uninvited? That didn't work. Okay. So then you're worrying about stuff that really happens. So you just ruined everything for this message. So let's pray and go no sometimes our attitudes are the things that just keep happening our mental attitudes those things those habits of thought now that they're acquired and we get them by repeating them over and over again so an action repeated becomes a habit formed right so now what if we did some new actions what if when we had a chance to worry about something instead of going down the road oh if this happens this is gonna happen this is gonna we ask the question what do i believe who do i trust I believe that God has a great future for me, and I trust him to provide it. Huh, I don't have to worry. I trust in the sovereignty of God. God can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, however he wants, with whomever he wants. And if I'm going to be one of those guys that gets the coronavirus, maybe it's because I'm going to be able to, chance to have a chance to talk to a doctor about Jesus. Paul was in prison talking to his captive audience about Jesus. And if I get the coronavirus, I have an opportunity now to talk to a doctor that I would never get the chance to talk to before, and I get a chance to share Jesus with him. So my attitude is everything. The way I see things is everything. Now, your your attitude should be like Christ's, and I'm not talking about just positive attitudes, okay? I'm not talking about positive attitudes at all, but I'm talking about Christ-centered attitudes, Okay, what good can Jesus do in this situation that I find myself in right now? What good can Jesus do? And how can I show in this situation that I'm in? How can I show the people that I'm exposed to, how can I show them Jesus? Huh, okay, whole new attitude. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. It's the last part of that passage there. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now here, who being in very nature God, okay, Jesus was God, did not consider equality God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, if I'm God, I show up on the planet, you know, all of a sudden I have all the attributes of God. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go around making things right. And you know how I'm going to make things right? Based on how I feel. You know, I think it's right that all those people driving by should be in this church right now. I'd go out there and grab them.
1: Get in here, get in here,
0: get in here. And they would be a captive audience, and they would say, man, I hate that. You know, and I would do absolutely no good. Now, Jesus did not consider being God something to be grasped, is the way most of you have memorized that, grasped. He, I don't want to grab onto that. I don't want to grab onto that. But I really like the way it's translated here, where it says, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, instead of using it to his own advantage, he says, if he made himself nothing, Now, if we're going to think like Jesus did so that we can live like he lives, now, what are you? How do you think about yourself? Are you something or are you nothing? Ah, now here's the rub. Now, many people would like to say, I'm I'm something. You know, I'm not all that, but I'm at least something. Now, as long as you're something, God can't do much with you. Because you are what you think you are. But guess what he can do with nothing? He can make whatever he wants. He can take nothing. He created all this that we know out of nothing. Nothing. And when I consider myself nothing, he can make me something. When I am something, he has a tough time recreating that. He's got to break me down. But if I consider myself nothing okay, in his eyes, okay, in his realm, so that I can be used by him, then he can make me something. Okay, he considered himself, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, circle that word servant, being made in human likeness. Now, I can't imagine what it was like for Jesus to be in heaven. And in the next second, he's in Mary's belly. Nine months later, he gets spewed out, or however it is, birthed. I guess birthed. Birthed is a good word. I'll go with birthed, okay? He's birthed. And I don't know, every birth that I have seen, it just looks like a mess. Okay? Here is God coming out of a woman in a pile of goo. Now, just just for a minute, just for a minute, think about that. He takes on the very nature of his being made in human likeness, what was that like for him? I have no idea. I have no idea what that was like. I can't even remember my own experience. But, you know, if you're God, if you're God and you're in heaven, do you think he knew what it was like in the womb? And do you think he knew what it was like to be birthed? And do you think he knew what it was like to be cleaned up and all of that stuff? Man, just think of that. That. So now, here's what, here's what I want you to know he didn't consider being equal with god something that he wanted to attain okay that wasn't his goal so here's the paradigm shift for us in the way that we think pleasing god isn't about self promotion but self abandonment okay it's not self denial necessarily but it could include that but self abandonment where i give myself to be used by him rather than promote myself to be seen by you as something special. Now, now this word grasped that we see here translated to be used to his own advantage means to plunder, to rob, or to rape. To plunder, rob, or rape. Okay? If I grasp that, I'm going to plunder it. I'm going to use it to my own advantage. I'm going to rob it. I'm going to steal it. I'm gonna, and, and it's used for rape as well. Now, Where did we see that happen? Where being equal with God was something that someone grasped. Lucifer. okay. Let's start with Satan. Satan, why was he thrown out of heaven? Because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be like God. Now he gets thrown out of heaven for that, right? So he wants to promote that same cause down on earth. And he comes down to earth, and what does he say to Adam and Eve? Oh, you could be like God. Now, wanting to be like God... We see a couple of instances there where it comes to no good end. No good end. And so therefore, uh, you know, Jesus didn't consider being equal to God something that he wanted to use for his own advantage. But rather, he does what? He self-abandons and he does what? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. A servant. Now, um, let me flip over here, because I'm, gonna, I'm starting to go crazy. Okay. Now, what did God make the world out of? Nothing. nothing. He made the world out of nothing. You're listening. I'm glad. Of that. Okay. And now, as long as we're nothing, God can make something out of us. But as long as we're something, well, that's what we are. And we don't want to change that. We've spent our whole lives making us that way. So, therefore... Pour yourself out like a drink offering. Okay, made, him nut, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Now this word servant, I want to talk about it for a minute, is the word doulos, the Greek word doulos. And it's many times used as a, an indentured servant, where somebody, you know, I'm not making it very well, and I need a job, and so therefore I'm going to become a servant of my master here, and his responsibility now is to provide food and shelter for me, and I will do his bidding. Okay, that's a doulos, Okay. Now, Jesus, uh, B- Paul talks about Jesus that way. He is a do-loss. He has submitted to someone else to take care of him as he serves his master. It means uh, a slave, a servant, permanently devoted to do the will of another. Now, here's the paradigm shift I want us to come to when it comes to being a servant: serving is not what I do, a servant is who I am. Okay, that's a real paradigm shift. Because if service is just what I do, I can do it every now and then. But if a servant is what I am, when I leave those doors today, I'm going to be looking for someone to serve, someone to help, someone to share the love of Christ with. And that's what a servant does, the bidding of his master. Jesus said this, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Now, how did he do that? How did he do that? Now, Philippians 2, 8-11 gives us the, the whole idea here. And he says, "...being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." man, if there was ever a time to clap in church, that's the time to clap in church because that's what Jesus came to do. That's what Jesus came to do. That's how he served you. That's how he served me. Now, it's interesting because Paul is going to conclude here um, by saying some things uh, that's kind of weird. You know, he, he, We've heard it a lot. In fact, there's a song out now on Caleb uh, that talks about uh, to live as Christ and to die is Christ gain yeah to live is christ and to die is gain and so here's paul sitting in a prison sitting in a prison chained to a roman guard and he's thinking what's my future going to be like what is my future i could die well is that so bad you know and i've told you many times about my mom you know when i would worry you know and she'd say what's the worst thing that could happen and i would always make up some lame excuse you know some lame thing that could happen and finally, I, I came to the final one. I said, man, she, I, this will stump her, and this will keep her from asking this ever again. And she said one day, I was worried about something. She said, well, what's the worst that could happen? I said, I could die. And without missing a beat, she said, that wouldn't be so bad, would it? Again, as I always say, you don't want to hear that from your mom, but spiritually, that's where Paul was. That wouldn't be so bad. That is gain. I'm going to gain heaven. I'm going to gain the presence of Christ. I'm going to be living with God in heaven. And it doesn't get better than that. And he knew that. But he said, to live as Christ, because as long as I stay here, I get to keep sharing him with you. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Now, it's amazing to me that he could even say those things. and, And amazing yet that he could expect us to live by them as well. Now, if you think like Jesus thinks, you'll live like Jesus lives. Now, here, let's talk about joy for a minute and a paradigm shift for our thoughts on joy. My joy isn't based on what happens to me. Okay? Your joy should not be based on what happens to you. But it should be based on what God is doing in me and through me. Ah, oh, that brings joy. What God does in me and through me brings me joy. You know, we get a chance as a church a lot of times to help people. And man, I'll tell you, I love doing that because it brings so much joy to me. And it's not about what's happening to me, but it's about what's happening in the life of someone else. And they just go, wow, I didn't expect that. And you say, yeah, we love you. God loves you. We we share all this stuff together. And so therefore, that brings me a great deal of joy because it's based on what God's doing in me and through me. Philippians 2, 17 through 18. The Apostle Paul. But if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Man, Paul in prison, chained to a guard, doesn't get to go to the movies, you know, worries about the coronavirus because this guard might have it. You know, and he says, Man, Everything is good. Everything is good. I hope it's good for you. I hope it's good for you. And I hope that today will help us to start. You know, I don't want you to start. I want you to have a paradigm shift today. I want it to happen now. And so I'm going to pray for you that you will be able to have that shift of mind and thinking that will affect your attitude, which will then affect your actions. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your kindness. Lord, I thank you for the way that you think. And Lord, we want to think like you do. And so Lord, help us to make these shifts in the way that we think. Help us to see from your perspective. Help us to think like Jesus thinks. Help us to live like he lives. And so Lord, today, help us to do something different than what we've been doing all along. Help us to do something that will affect the people around us with the love of Christ. So, Lord, today we commit to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Any questions?